Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Belis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. Today I'm chatting with Lauren Zimbrin as she shares her journey to joy through the transformational experience of suffering. I want you guys to know up front that while our conversation isn't explicit, it might contain some triggers. You probably want to grab your headphones if your kids are nearby. After we stopped recording, Lauren actually made a great point that it's important to acknowledge that everybody's suffering is valid no matter what level or experience someone's going through. Hearing Lauren's story will inspire and encourage you to search for joy in the midst of whatever it is that you're walking through. I'm so excited to introduce you guys to her today. Lauren, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you. Hi, Hunter. I'm also so thankful to be here. Thank you so much. So Lauren and I met through our mutual friend, Elizabeth Seifrey. You guys actually work together at East African Ministries. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Um, Elizabeth actually was the first person that I really contacted before moving. Um, Okay, we were living in she was living in South Sudan with her husband, and I was moving to South Sudan in early 2013, and she sent me this um, outrageously kind Facebook message, and I thought, this girl is just the best. So we became really good friends um, pretty instantly living in South Sudan, and then she's still one of my closest friends. And then I, that's how I heard about you. Um, and I heard about you quite often. She would tell me that you were the most life-giving relationship that she had over there besides Gloria, whom I know she loves and misses. So anyways, I'm super thankful that we actually get to have a heart-to-heart conversation because you have been having them with my um, closest friend for such a long time. And I know we've met before in person, but now we're getting to like chat one-on-one without a big group of people around us. So I'm really excited that you decided it was okay to make it public on our first little go round. (laughs) Indeed. I'm also so thankful, Hunter. Well, I'd love for listeners just to get a glimpse. I know they heard your bio, but um, just to get a glimpse of what your days look like and where you're at right now. Sure. I live in, um, as Hunter said, in Uganda, which is in East Africa, And I live in a town called Mbali, and it's a pretty um, sizable town, but nothing overwhelming. I don't love big city necessarily. Um, And my day-to-day is really similar to, I feel like, life in the Western world, except some different challenges and um, some different cultural aspects. I am a very early riser, so I like waking up and just having my peace in the morning and having quiet time to pray and to journal um, and then, we're really early right now, correct? Yes, we're very early. Well, it's 5 a.m. here. And it's 9 p.m. where I'm at. Yes, <laughs> so exactly. <you're> awesome. <laughs> Thank you. And um, then I get out of the house around 7-ish. Um, and I am a teacher at a university um, called Livingstone International University. And it is in its fifth year of existence. Um, And I teach in the School of Education. The School of Education was just started this past August, August of 2016. And I found found out about this school from my work in South Sudan. I had been living in South Sudan for a couple of years prior to moving to Mbali. And just through professional connections, I found out about the school. And um, I applied for a position here. Uh, last June, and I got accepted, and I'm really thankful to be here. I 
um, really do love living and being in East Africa. And this um, this journey after moving out of South Sudan is a lot more sustainable. So I live away from school and I have my own home and I have my own life and it's just going to work each day. I work with, so I teach four classes um, and three are in the School of Education and we only have 20 students in that school. So I work with the same 20 students excuse me, students throughout the week. And then I also am teaching a liberal arts class, which is a bit bigger. It's about 80 students, and I'm teaching psychology, which is quite interesting. Um, and I really love the school, and I really love the students. I have known some of them through the school that I worked at in South Sudan, so it's wonderful to still have those connections and those friendships that have really impacted me um, so much in life. And then well, there's meetings or there's meetings with students or staff. And um, so usually my days are really full and really busy with preparation or teaching or meetings or conversations. You just never know what's going to come up. Um, and then I end my day around five or six, depending on the day. And then I'm either just coming home to grade papers and relax um, and going for a little jog with my dog or uh, meeting a friend for supper at one of the few little places in town. But life here is really simple and it's really manageable and sustainable. I wouldn't say there are a ton of options for social life and for adventure and such um, just within Mbali here. So you feel like you have limited options, which actually makes for such a simple um, and I don't know, for me, like more grounded life. And I don't feel like I'm here, there and everywhere. And I can just appreciate the things that are around me and the things that I get to do and the people that I get to interact with each day. It really is a blessing. Um, so that's really what my days look like. Um, I love that. I actually watched a little clip. Someone had just posted on YouTube, um, just some footage from their trip in Mbale, and it was so interesting. And I just get excited thinking about you with your students. What age um, do you typically teach? Oh, that's so funny you saw that video. Um, I work with, well, it, that's a great question because we have students from eight different countries in and around wow. East Africa. So it really is um, quite interactive, let me say. You have you have different challenges and strengths from each different culture of students that you interact with and teach. But um, the students mainly vary from about 18 upwards to 25. Now, depending on, we have some students from countries that have really been impacted by conflict, and that has really delayed their process in continuing school, so therefore they're a mm. bit later, or a bit older. Um, actually, come to think of it, I even have a student in one of my classes, he's 30. Um, so they, but they're there, and that's what's important, and they're really trying, and they teach me more than I could teach them, I think. Um, anyway, so that's what our student body looks like. There are about 300 students currently, and um, going through university here in Uganda, excuse me, in Uganda takes um, three years. So um, we have about 300 students, and then they want to keep adding each year. Wow, that's amazing. At what point did you know that you wanted to come over to East Africa and live? You've said you've lived in Uganda, you've lived in South Sudan, and tell me the other country as well. Yes, and then Rwanda. Okay, Hunter, I, ever since I was little, my parents will tell you, 
I always said I want to go start a school in Africa. And why that is, I don't know, except Jesus speaking through me at a young age. Um, So honestly, I started, I went to a youth conference when I was 13. And that's when I learned about missions trips and like that I had the ability to go on a missions trip. Um, So at that youth conference, I went to the little meeting that they were talking to youth about going to missions and I came back from the youth conference that weekend and I told my parents that I was I was in April of I don't remember what year but um and then I told my parents oh in June I'm going to Panama which um, is in Central America and anyway so then from there on I just really continued traveling but I didn't make it to Africa until 2005 and I really kept wanting to go but nothing really worked out and I was in my last year of undergrad. Um, And so I came back, I was in Southern Africa, actually doing a missions trip in Botswana, Zimbabwe and South Africa. Um, And then I came back and I just knew I wanted to go back. So I was looking for opportunities to go. And then it wasn't really until um, that next year, that next August 2006, um, that I had um, gotten a position to go teach at an international school in Kigali, Rwanda. So that, I was there for two years, and that was really uh, transformational, I would say, and really changed the trajectory of where I thought my life was going um, in in many regards. So I spent two years in Rwanda, and then I moved back to the U.S., and I did a master's degree, and I spent about four years in D.C., um, teaching and going to school, and then... Um, just was a part of a really great church there. And it was a different type of community. And then I really was trying to move back to East Africa. And um, through a a series of just different happenings, God really laid South Sudan on my heart. And I was trying to look for a job in South Sudan. And then through a connection that I had had in Rwanda, um, it's an American couple. They live in Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, they connected me to an organization in South Sudan, which is East African Ministries, who I worked for there for a couple of years. Um, And then my time was done there in such a natural way. Um, Then I spent a couple of months in America and um, was looking for work to come back to East Africa. So I just, I came back to Mbali. And I can't say I can fully explain why it is that I'm here um, you know, people often make the statement, well, you know, we have a lot of needs in America. You can come help and do your work here. And that's true. But I really do believe that the kingdom of God is global. And to say that I'm only going to support the country that I was born in, then negates the fact that we are actually a global body and we have our brothers and sisters and other countries. So as much as my neighbor is my neighbor when I lived in Maryland or Texas or D.C., my neighbor is equally my neighbor here in Uganda, and they're equally part of the family that God um, has given us. And anyway, so there is just this beautiful um, peace and joy and deep-seated gratitude and identity that I that I feel and that I receive in living the life that I get to live here. So it doesn't feel like a sacrifice or it doesn't feel like I'm running away from life in in the US or um, I I 
do understand why I'm here. Um, and But there's just so many stories, I think, that have brought me to this place, and um, it ultimately is the journey that God has put me on. So it started from saying, oh, I want to start a school in Africa, and now I've gotten to work in the educational sector of three different countries in East Africa, and each have been different but have been really impacting to me and um, to my journey. Oh, my goodness, friend. That is so cool. I'm like, when can I get on a plane? Not quite yet because I'm still breastfeeding Davey. (laughs) But I would love to come see you in your element. And I wish I could have been there when you and Elizabeth were doing your thing together. Yes, indeed. Oh, that would have been wonderful. It would have. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. Bring all the babies over, ladies. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yes, I'm sure they would love it. Um, Our, actually, Brooks's brother, they just got back from living in South Sudan. I don't know if you ever connected with them when they were over there. Did you? I never connected with them, but I got their, what, their um, newsletter. Okay, yes. So they just brought their two boys back and they've been growing up in South Sudan and um, they had quite the quite the awesome time just like playing around in the dirt with the sticks and all of that stuff. So they're just getting used to like wearing clothes again now that they're back home in the US. (laughs) It's true. And really what Western toys are. Yes. Old tires or something. But they really lived in the bush. bush. I mean, they yes. were kind of in the boonies. They were. They definitely were. But, well, I would love to hear just, you know, we want to talk about the topic of joy and um, transformation in the midst of suffering. And I can only imagine just the things that you have experienced along your journey, as we all have. But yes. um, if I understand this correctly, you have been doing a lot of this journey by yourself with other believers um, in, in the body of Christ. But You've been doing a lot of this by yourself. Is that right? It's true. Yes. So I can imagine Um, I would experience just that in and of itself in some way could be um, a degree of suffering. But I'd love just to hear what your experience with suffering has been. Okay. Yes. So I will talk about it in the sense, too, of personal suffering and then also collective suffering and communal suffering. Because there really is... um, there. Mm is just such a knowing of who Christ is from what I have experienced as we do suffer. And we see something that really spoke to me is um, from an author. He's called Henry Nouwen, and he writes this book called Can You Drink This Cup? I think it's called that. And he talks about we have this life, and it's a cup of joy, and it's a cup of suffering. And if we look at... Um, the life of Christ, and if we look at how he died on the cross, it was one of great joy, but Mm. he lived, um, he experienced great suffering and great sorrow um, in the midst of that. And so it's true, I have walked a lot of the journey um, alone, but I haven't been lonely, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. There has been this incredible transformation, and I would say it really, it began when I started in Rwanda in 2006, Hmm. Um, but I really didn't, um, I think that it really came to this like fuller fruition when I was in South Sudan, Um, and now being here, I feel like I've walked uh, this really long but beautiful and intricate journey of in these different places, in these different relationships, 
and um, really with the Lord. People have come along beside me and um, and have maybe known my situation or have not, and they have just been a friend, and they've spoken words of truth or um, or have just been with me during different seasons, which has been such a gift. But um, truly, I would say the first part of my uh, transformation, talking about Rwanda days, was really about identity. And I think that we, all of us in our 20s, we really, from what I can understand, go through this um, conflict of who am I and what Mm -hmm. am I doing and where am I going and who is God and who is God in me. Um, And so we really just try to work through what significance looks like. At least I was. And so it was really confusing just in the midst of um, of really trying to uh, to listen to God and to um, understand that I am unique aside from my friend. And I can be in relationships with different friends, but they are who they are and I am who I am. And um, then anyway, so then moving to D.C. was significant in the way of really being grounded in a strong church community and experiencing really great friendships that were more free and not trying to feel like I needed to get something from my friendships, if that makes sense, yeah. um, or that there I needed to, my friends needed me to act a certain way in order to be their friend. Um, so that was part of the transformation. And honestly, it really, it was then during my time in D.C. that I started going to counseling for some things that I had experienced in the past. And it was just really freeing, to be honest. I mm-hmm. think something that I hadn't really been in life, and it was something that I that I grew up in my family. We didn't always communicate. We didn't speak the truth. If there was an issue, you don't really talk about it. And I have a great family, and I really do love my parents. But um, this culture of honesty and openness wasn't cultivated. So I held a lot of shame and guilt and sin and confusion inside. And it Mm. wasn't until I really entered into healthy friendships that I realized the need to be vulnerable and to be open and um, things that I had held for years and years, I just started to release. And I just found such freedom in that. Um, And then um, it was during my years that I was um, living or that I was in South Sudan that I experienced a personal tragedy within my with my own life. And I was sexually assaulted. um, And it was something that just really brought me um, just deep sadness. And I, Mm. you know, when you when something when a trauma happens to you, you just feel like you are not able to move on. And I just felt Mm. like I was stuck in darkness for several months. But I knew from my previous experience of going through this journey of transformation that I wasn't alone, that I didn't need to suffer in silence, that I needed to be open. And it wasn't about being open with everyone, right? It wasn't about telling everyone my story and every detail of what had happened, but it was really being open and honest with God um, first and foremost and um, really just experiencing this uh, really deep peace, honestly, and joy and thankfulness that I am safe and that I am well and I can walk uh, through healing, right? Mm. And that healing is very possible. And this is one thing that happened to me and you see 
you just see it in such perspective living in South Sudan. Because um, if um, if anyone knows anything about Sudan, it's South Sudan. It's uh, became an independent nation five years ago, and or almost six years ago, I guess. And it um, is in deep suffering. When we when I think about suffering, I really think about the people of South Sudan and the way that they can endure through their great suffering. I'm like, I can surely walk through, endure, and find healing on the other side of this um, mm-hmm. of this tragedy that um, that has happened to me. Um, so really, it was through, um, it was in the fall of 2013 that that happened. And then it was really in that next season, starting in 2014, that, um, so we, I was a part of starting a school. Um, so in 2013, it was all about building the, um, building this the program of of the school and then in 2014 the students were coming so um i was back in south sudan and um war had just broken out a couple of weeks prior and we were just going for it we're like okay we're going to bring these students on board we're going to make sure that this school opens and um with so many details that i'll i'll just spare you i you know there was a lot of talk like you shouldn't go back to South Sudan. You shouldn't be there. You need to rest or find peace and strength and healing and all of this. And, you know, I was like, okay, if I just sit around America for six months and, you know, twiddle my fingers and get counseling, what am I going to do with my life, you know? And mm-hmm. so I so I did. I ended up going back to South Sudan um and I really found such healing in the midst of life there. Now, life wasn't as crazy as it was, and my days did look different. But really, Hunter, I found such healing through relationship. And it was that those people didn't realize that they were ministering to me, but the way in which people lived their lives and saw their identity in Christ and walked through their own suffering made me gave me this deeper healing of walking through my own suffering. And it really was such a gift to be in relationship without having to talk about everything with, um, with the people that I was interacting with here and or there in South Sudan, if that makes sense. Anyway, so I would say that that was, um, yes, I was with people, but a lot of it was on my own personal journey of what healing looked like internally. Hmm. So did you have some people that you were communicating with about the intricate details of what was going on in your heart as well? That's a great question. Um, Yes, I did have our mutual friend Elizabeth, and she um, was living in South Sudan at the time, but not where I was. So I would communicate with her regularly, and she was such a gift to have um, on so many levels. And then, um, and I got to see her a few times. Um, and then I did, I had a, I have a really good friend in Kampala and her name is Danny. Um, and she was also a great strength. And then I would communicate with some people on, in the U S but I really cut a lot of that off just because it was too emotionally challenging and, and physically challenging at sometimes just with communication to have right. to communicate with people. Um, so honestly, Hunter, I would say there was only a handful of people, um, that I, that were really walking through this journey of healing with me, but, and I really can't explain it. Like there were days, 
my my mornings would be reflection and peace and journaling and prayer and reading and then I and where I would really focus um, intently on what healing looked like in the season. But then my days were just so full of a different kind of life that mm. surprisingly, that's, that was the biggest part of my healing um, in some regards. And I can't fully make sense of it, if I'm honest, but it just is another example of God really knowing who he is in us and what he's doing in that as much as me or my counselor or friends in the U.S. could say, you really need to stay in the U.S. and you need to really find um, your healing. I just knew I needed to go back, and I did. And God had this beautiful journey of restoration in a way that I didn't realize. Um, I mean, there really, there really was great suffering in South Sudan, and there still is. And so just to hear people's stories and then to connect with my students later on in, um, in that year, and, or even in the next year, I got really close, and I'm still close to some of my female students. Um, and they shared their own experiences um, of being traumatized by um, abuse, by sexual abuse, and by rape. And it was something that was, again, another level of healing to really communicate with these girls and to be able to fully, in some capacity, understand um what they were going through and to be able to share that journey after I had really walked through a lot of my own liberation and transformation, um, to be able to speak truth into them because the culture in the majority of East Africa is people don't talk about these hard things and the word counselor or the concept of counseling, um, is just not something that's so, um, known or readily available so people really suffer in their own silence. And I had learned a few years prior, obviously, that um, that we aren't to suffer in silence, right? And that we are part of this larger um, body of Christ. And even though people don't need to know everything, um, just letting some few people in was really life-changing. And I really, um, I, I gained a lot of insight from the Lord about what suffering looks like. And it wasn't something that I wanted to just push away. You know, I just really learned in South Sudan that um, struggle and pain and suffering, it's a part of life and it's a part of what builds us and our character and our patience and our faith. And so um, that we don't need to try to run from it, from it. Like the more we try to run from pain, it only causes more pain from my experience. And so to be in the awareness and the presence of, yes, this happened, and yes, God is with me, and so I'm going to sit in this stage of healing um, or even this stage of pain right now, you know, going back to talking about the cup of joy and sorrow that I think that so much it's the same, it's the same cup, it's the same life, it's the same dance that we mourn and we dance, and it's um, we can mourn in one minute and then we're dancing in the next minute or vice versa. And that's just what the beauty of life is. And I really came to understand the deeper meaning of what beautiful means and it's existing in the present and it's, um, mm. it's struggling with and for people, not just for, you know, it's so much of 
that 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 journey in South Sudan was about for me. You know, I wanted to go. I had just finished my master's and I wanted to work in education in this new country. And it was very much this achievement thing. But then when that, in that first year, when a lot of those walls were just broken down, I realized that our struggle in life is really not for results and achievement all the time, but it really is about relationship and people and about authentically walking out a journey that we each walk and how we cross paths with people. And, um, you know, in South Sudan, also I learned that the way people pray is just something so beautiful. They, they start their prayers by saying they genuinely thank God for bringing them to this day, that they realize that they that life is such a gift that they could easily be dead um, or mm. in some other capacity, but they um, are thankful for where they are. And I think I, my transformation in that transformational season, I really experienced such such a, a deeper heart of, of gratitude and living in this tra- in this threshold of yes, there's pain and yes, there's sorrow and there's joy and there's great suffering in this world, but it doesn't mean that God has abandoned us. God has just called us to walk with one another, right? And so that we're a part of this bigger story that really is enveloped in and through us and through who we are. And um, I I just always grew up praying for everything to be okay. Like, just make everything okay, and then life will be good, you know? But it won't be, and I think I realized that if we pray for life to be okay, then we just grow stagnant. That there's yeah. not, we don't see the hand of God working if everything is okay. And um, anyway, so yeah, and so I entered into a lot of uh, solitude during during that um, season. So I wasn't so much with people, but anyway, so people were around, and um, and I learned anyway. So I learned a lot, and um, I grew, and I'm thankful to um, to be where I am now. So for somebody who's sitting in the midst of it, maybe somebody who's experienced a trauma as you mentioned, that's wrestling just with the reality of their emotion and with the reality of what they know to be true in scripture. And and maybe they can get mentally to where you've described where they know that there's a bigger picture and they know that there's a greater purpose, but they just feel so differently. Can you talk kind of about, did you struggle with that? Did you struggle with deep sadness or um, guilt and shame? Can you I, I think you mentioned oh, yeah. that a little bit. Can you flesh that out a little bit? What it looked like for you to come from a point of, um, you mentioned just kind of paralysis, um, and into like moving forward, um, into that transformation or pressing into that tra- transformation. Yes, of course. Yes. I would say for about a month, maybe, maybe a little bit more than a month. Um, I did feel really dead. I was like, life will, I'll never smile again. I'll never be happy. Um, I'll never see true light in life. Because my nature, I, my nature is one of, um, I really do sense the joy of the Lord in my life. And I, mm-hmm. I have growing up. And that season um, was just so challenging. And I was like, I'll never be the Lauren that I knew again. Um, Mm. now, and I think that it's okay to say that and it's okay to realize that. And, you know, Hunter, I just spent a lot of days, um, I was in the U S at the time and I just spent a lot of days doing nothing or like hanging out with friends and try to 
trying to figure out and like how I'm going to recover. Um, and, and so I just had to, I realized I just had to sit in that darkness for a little bit and it's okay. And it's not all that life is. And so I would really say, um, that if obviously like what I've been saying is don't suffer in silence. Like if you can't even tell people how you're doing, just tell them you're not okay. And Mm -hmm. that's what I had to do. And I tell my students that, um, they, I just had a girl come to me with a pretty big issue a couple weeks ago. And I was like, I don't need you to tell me every detail of what's going on or how you feel, but just tell me if you're okay or not. Um, and so even like getting to that point of saying you're not okay. And then, um, and really don't expect to see growth at first. I didn't see growth, but yet God was working. You know, Mm. there were seeds, like people were praying and truth was being ingested in me. But, um, even if I wasn't taking it in myself, like people were speaking love and truth into my life, which is such an amazing gift. Um, so therefore those seeds were growing, but just internal and I couldn't see them. Um, and I, what I have found to be really important was, um, I sought out a counselor and my counselor has been wonderful and she's a wonderful, um, she has great biblical and spiritual foundation and background and, um, life to her. And so she has also just really helped me walk through a lot of what healing looks like. Um, and then another thing that was good for me is I wrote poems, so I couldn't fully express how I was doing in those first month, few months of, um, post post-trauma, but um, I wrote a lot, and my my poems really revealed a lot of um, where I was and what I was walking through, so that helped me as well, um, <clears throat> and then um, I guess it really depends on the trial that people are walking through. I mean, I, I can't speak to everyone, every trial I know, but I think for me, reflection and processing was really important. Just in any way I could, I would try to do something to journal um, and say a little prayer or just read a little bit of scripture or of a book that has been that had been special to me um, and that spoke truth to me. So I hope that helps the listeners a bit. But um, I would just say don't don't try to run away. Just sit in the season that you're in. Um, with great expectation that God is with you and that he is doing a mighty work as, um, as you sit in pain, as you feel like you sit in darkness, that there is really light. And I will say that I so much wanted to be back to my old self, Mm. but Hunter, what I found is that I became a new person and I just didn't Mm. expect it. There was so much healing And just so much transformation in the capacity that I didn't really understand would come. Um, And that is really where I believe when God says that he is with us and that he is making us a new creation, that truly I did and I do feel like a new creation um, after walking through that bit of my journey. And it's something that I can't fully explain. express I really wish I had the right words but it's just this deep-seated joy to know that it's okay to walk through suffering that there is that we as much as we're suffering like we can dance with hope and know that our father and that our savior is the one that really does hold us um, and that he is with us in every moment 
Um, and yes, bad things happen, but it doesn't mean that he's a bad God. And it doesn't mean that he um, doesn't love us or we've done something wrong, right? It really is just about experiencing um, the reality of humanity on earth and walking life with people. So um, anyway, so I hope that helps. Yeah, I hear so much hope in your voice. And it just makes me it makes my eyes fill with tears for my sisters who have walked through traumatic situations. You know, really, I think that rape is probably one of the biggest fears that that I personally maintain. Um, and I think I, a lot of women would probably identify with that, you know, um, to see someone who's walked through that and who has such joy. It is so incredibly encouraging and I'd love to hear just kind of when you first began to feel glimpses of joy, or did you feel like joy was present in the midst of that suffering? Okay, I did not feel like joy was um, in the midst of my suffering after, um, it probably wasn't until two to three months, I would say, yeah, more like three months, three to four months. Um, But I will tell you, it was, Really, when I started back into a normal routine, okay, not a normal routine. It wasn't something so normal, but it was more of a routine. And I just started living life again, Hunter, and it Mm. looked different. It wasn't the type of life that I had prior to the assault, but it was, um, I started experiencing joy when I started started living life as a normal functioning human, I would say. Um, Mm. There was, you know, and joy for me is really about posture and about perspective. And Mm. there is, you know, like even one of my favorite verses is in uh, Luke 1, when the angel comes to Mary and tells her that as a virgin, she is going to give birth to the Messiah. And she doesn't freak out and she doesn't, she's not confused and she doesn't question the angel, but she says, okay, Lord, let it be according to your will. And that Mm. is such a posture of deep seated joy from what I see. And I want that posture in my life each day. Um, And, you know, after being raped and experiencing such tragedy, you really, it's amazing to me how, um, uh, how I, I have been able to walk through healing, yes, and I find healing sometimes here um, and where I am in life now. But then sometimes in life, you know, the little things can really set me off, and I'm like, wow, I really have to check my my perspective and my posture. But um, back to your question, is I I would say it was after um, a couple of months, and I um, was back in South Sudan in the town where we were starting the school in a town called Nimale. And I just started living life. I would, I had a really healthy morning routine. I did not have a lot of people around me. I did not have a lot of noise and activity, which being in the U.S. for those few months, so I extended my time in the U.S. because of, um, I was supposed to go back anyway because we had just a break. But I extended my time because I was going for counseling and, um, you know, and my friends were like, you have to stay here. You have to work through this Um this tragedy or you know and and so it was my boss actually that was like you know don't take her lifeline away if her lifeline and her calling is to be in South Sudan and to be working and building the kingdom there then let her go back so 
my work was really great and they let me go back and um and it was there that I didn't have the noise and the distraction of just everyone trying to fix me or control the situation or right. bring me to this place or bring me to that place. There's just too many options. Whereas in, um, in, um, back in South Sudan, I just really, um, had this simple existence and it was through, through my morning routine and then through my, um, through my work that I kind of restarted, that I was able to find my joy again in a new way. And it was really joy transformed. And it really was um, an unspeakable understanding of how my perspective could be what it was. But it was really, and it was choosing to not dwell on Mm -hmm. past, right? Like knowing that I, Amy Carmichael writes a great book. I think it's called The Gold Cord or The Golden Cord. And she talks about how we experience things in life and they become a part of us. And when we see a rift on a mountain, we don't think that's an ugly mountain. We just see that that mountain has been through something and has endured some sort of weather or some sort of tragedy or natural disaster, whatever it is. But um, it becomes a part of us. And I think that that's just such a beautiful thing um, it's a beautiful, um, I don't know, perspective that is a part of who each one, as we, as we walk through hard times and as we walk through suffering with ourselves or with other people that we have these, um, calluses or these indentations that show Mm. I've walked this and God has been faithful to bring me to the other side. And so I have something new to give and share and a different peace that really does pass all understanding. I mean, and I even think that about my brothers and sisters here in East Africa. I don't know how and why they have joy in all that they've suffered, but they do. And they genuinely believe in the truth of who God is in their lives and in their hearts, even though they don't see it. And they might not ever see it in their country, but they yet have this great knowing of who Jesus is. And I learn from that each day and that's how I'm so impacted too so I hope that answers your question but it really is it took a couple of months and darkness was definitely there and a deep desert was definitely there um I was saying uh, I wrote a, a poem a couple of months after the rape and I say that I felt like I was just drowning like I had just fallen into this body of water and I was just drowning and it wasn't, and you know, as you go down into the water, the, you lose light. And so then I wrote in this poem that it wasn't until I hit the bottom of this body of water that then I finally felt free. And mm. it was just this like very deep, dark place that I began to then exp- like just know that I have nothing, Hunter, that I can't help myself, I can't save myself, that it really is when I'm in the solitude of just me and God in this very quiet place, that that's where I find hope and life and joy again. So that's what I can say. It's crazy because, you know, I've had, I've actually had conversations with a few of my girlfriends here in the States. And I think the temptation, you know, when you're walking just kind of the traditional route that you expect to go through when you know you're 12 years old unless you're you (laughs) 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 Uh, but you know when you're 12 you think by the time you're 26 you're gonna have a couple kids or whatever you know and one of my girlfriends brought up the question you know do you ever fear or feel like things are really good right now and you're afraid that something bad might be coming around the corner because you know that saying you're either 
in a valley or what's the saying? You know what I'm talking about? Something's coming, a storm's coming in the distance. I can't think of it off the top of my yes. head. But No, I totally know what you're saying. You're either in it, you're going through it, or you just got out of it. That's exactly it. And yes. I think the question was, you know, do you fear that because you feel like you're not in a storm right now, that there's a storm on the horizon? But even as I'm hearing you speak, I'm like, oh my goodness, the storms, the storms are the, the times in which we um, come to know more dependency on God and we come to know more of who he is and we come to just experience um, the sweetness of truly having been rescued by a savior whose name is Jesus. And I hear that in your voice that you know him so well because of what you've walked through. And one of my questions that I was going to ask, but I retracted because you already answered it for us as we're speaking, is if you would take it back, if you would go back in time and if you could change it, if you would. And I I just hear um, such contentment in um, the journey that God has um, brought you on and such joy and such delight. And truly you are, um, you, you are just beautiful sister. I'm so thankful to just to have gotten to hear part of your story. And I know people are going to be so encouraged. I just want to go edit this and put it up so that I can get it to some of my friends right now, her just in the midst of, um, really hard times. So thank you so much for your vulnerability and um, sharing all of that with us. And I'd kind of like to shift gears a little bit um, and just ask for those who are in the midst of trials, um, if you have just any practical resources for them. You've mentioned a couple books, so you can add those or we can just put those in the show notes that you've already mentioned and you can give us some additional goodies um, just for somebody who's in the process of navigating um, a trial. Okay. Yes. I will say I do have a handful of books that I really did depend on. Um, I, obviously the word of God is there and it was alive and active in me, but I would say, um, my two favorite books that I read during that season, one was by Henry Nouwen called the inner voice of love. Um, and it's just a series of different essays but he talks so much about his own suffering and his own kind of confusion and how he has walked through different challenges in life. And I tell you, those essays spoke to me in such a powerful way. So that's Henry now in inner voice of love. Um, and then there is another book by um, an Irish poet and he's named John O'Donohue. And he writes a book called beauty, the, the Inner Landscape of Beauty, I think it's mm. called. And that is another book that um, really resonated with me. And then the one that I have shared, Can You Drink of This Cup? And it's a book I had read years ago, but I reread it. Um, and it's also by Henry Nowen. And it really just talks about our life is holding drinking or lifting and drinking this cup that is full of celebration, but then also it's really challenging too. Um, another thing that I, okay, I have talked about the importance of a counselor and that was something that was important to me. So I would say um, reaching out for a counselor is something that is very practical. And then something that I did each morning was I did yoga. And I have since then listened to different podcasts and read different articles on how yoga practice and trauma are, um, trauma healing are connected. Mm. Um, and I don't know if that was so true in my life, but it was a practice that I kept with. 
um, day after day for months. Um, and I still do some yoga now, but, um, that is something practical that I also implemented, um, in my life. So I hope that helps. That's that's what I can say. That's really good. Well, I'd love to also hear who, um, either who's the most influential person in your walk with Jesus in general, or who's been the most influential person as you've, um, just navigated the hardships of life? Well, that's a great question. I often say that I, I know we could all say this hopefully, but I really know the best people on earth. Um, and I really do feel like I have the best friends in just different seasons of life and in different parts of this world. Um, so I would say, although my, I, I haven't been so open with my family. I'm really close to my father. I wouldn't say I share every detail with him, but my father has been someone who has been, um, a strong encouragement and support. You know, it's not easy to let your single daughter just kind of go out and explore the world. But my dad has, um, really given me, um, not only just the blessing, but just the deep encouragement and the communication to, you know, if there just, he's just his, let me go. And he's been really communicative and really kind and supportive in the journey. Um, and then somebody I was thinking of in preparation for talking to you is, and it, she came so easily, but her name is Mary Cavan and Mary lives in Little Rock, Arkansas. And she's someone, she's like, a, I call her my Rwanda mom. Cause I met her when I lived in Rwanda and she is a mom. She has two of her own kids, but she also has a handful of other kids and I'm thankful to be one of them and their adopted family. And she was such a strength of love and motherhood when I lived in Rwanda. And she was the one that helped me connect to get this job in South Sudan. And she is the one that I cried to in Little Rock for weeks on end um, after um, the rape. And she has constantly been a support of checking in and love and just practical knowledge and um, and deep encouragement and support. And so she's somebody that I is, has really been such a mentor to me, um, and such a, um, such a mom, but I do have my own mom and I love her, but Mary, um, is just a different type of mom to me. And then I have great friends and in different seasons, they were there. I have a group of girls in DC that have, that supported me and loved me so well through so much of, um, of my journey, even before the rape. And then, um, being in South Sudan, Elizabeth Seifried was, um, my closest and dearest friend. And I'm so thankful for her. And she still is one of my closest friends. And, um, I have great friends with my old organization. So anyway, I could name a lot of people, but I would say in different seasons, there were key people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Lord was just really grateful to bring those people because he knew when we needed them. And then there's a handful of South Sudanese and African friends that have really um, walked this journey with me, maybe not intimately, but because of their lives that I have been transformed by them. Yeah, that totally makes sense um, how you have so many different people who have been influential just given the transiency of your life. And I kind of yeah. relate to that with um, moving every couple years with military. I'm like, ooh, if I got asked this question, it would be hard to narrow it down as well, just because you have so many different seasons. And if you're really being present, that means you're going to have a lot of different people in different places. 
Under, it's true. Of course you understand. Yes. Yes. Uh, and sometimes it's not always easy, but I really pray that you feel like the Lord provides for you too. And he season. does. He totally does. It's, it's crazy, isn't it? Cause you're just like, wow, they're just, mm-hmm. there's wonderful, beautiful people who love Jesus. Um, and, and it, it's just such a gift. And I, I'm so glad, you know, I, I, I wonder what it would be like. It was kind of a dream of mine to go overseas. Um, I always knew <laughs> God was calling me to be amidst a different people and a more difficult kind of environment that speaks a little bit of a different language, but I just didn't realize that it was going to happen for me in the heart of the U.S. So <laughs> I felt like I was going. I remember Elizabeth telling me that. Yes, yes. So, anyways, I have always been curious my whole life. Ever since I felt, I, I too felt just the Lord prodding my heart in that direction um, when I was really young. I had no clue he was preparing me for this totally makes sense now looking back, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's interesting because you think about things overseas and I, I've been overseas, but I haven't had the opportunity to go, um, to very many third world countries or places in which people experience hardship or live overseas for an extensive period of time. So I always wonder, um, what that would be like. So it's, it's, I'm, really happy to hear you say that. And I love hearing you talk about the global body of Christ. And I really do want to come and, and hang out and visit one day. Um, maybe when I'm no, no longer nursing babies. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. That would be such a day. (laughs) Yes. Well, okay. I want one more thing. Um, I think that all my questions revolve around books because I'm such an avid reader, but I would love to hear three books that are just, they encompass all genres um, that you just can't stop recommending other than the Bible. (laughs) Okay, good. Um, Wow. Okay. I mentioned some of them and I would say, so let's stick with that list. And then another book that I've read in different seasons is called The Gift of Being Yourself by David Benner. Um, and it has been life changing. Oh, I mean, I have I like just this. tore the book up and written different parts of written in different parts of it through different seasons. Um, the Inner Voice of Love, as I was saying, by Henry Nowen is also a very dear book to me. Um, the Invitation to Love and uh, No Man Is an Island, both by Thomas Merton, have been books that I just really love. Um, and then another reader that I really love and he he's called Richard Rohr and he has written several books but um I have really been captivated by his reading okay so those are all like really they're more reflective or um and and more spiritual books and I don't mean that in like I'm such a spiritual person but just um they're more reflective I I guess in that way and reflecting on the life of Jesus and the word of God um and just the life that we lead and how our perspectives of spirituality really influence our our walk day in and day out. But an author that I really love, um, she is called Francine Rivers, yes. and I've read all of her books. Okay, I could read her books all day. And then the last author I thought of, she's an Australian author, and her name is Lane Moriarty. Yes. And she has, okay, I love her books. They're so in- interesting, <laughs> just... I don't know oh, how her mind are. works. It is very, it, it, it's just incredible how her mind works, but they're, it's like reading TV. Yes, <laughs> yes that's so true. Amen. I couldn't agree more. 
Uh, that's so true. So I have also been, I'm, I really wanted to write another book because I've been through hers, but I really love reading too, Hunter. And so I would say those are what I can recommend, but I'll basically read any book, but those are my Okay. <laughs> well, after I hit stop record, then we'll have to exchange more titles because that last year was a huge reading year for me. Now that I've started recording the podcast, it's okay. I'm not quite as avid as I was, but that's, yes, one thing we definitely oh. share in and common. And you have two kids so, and a very active husband, and I'm sure you have an active life. So I'm impressed that you get to read so much. Well, I, I can't wait. We're just going to have to have another Skype date where we find out more commonalities besides both being best friends with Elizabeth Seyfried, loving to read, and um, loving the nation. So those are three really great things. Yes, amen. <laughs> That's so true. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I know I've said it already, but I just really, really appreciate your vulnerability and authenticity. And I cannot wait for women to get to hear from you. And friend, uh, the the book about authenticity and being, um, being yourself, the power of being yourself. Yes, exactly. Yes. It's called The Gift of Being Yourself by David Benner. And I can send it in. Yeah, I can send it um, in. Um, in an email form if needed. But anyway, um, but it's okay. It's only six chapters. It's a small book, but it is really deep. And he just hits to the core of identity and that our identity has to be in Jesus Christ. Yes. Um, And, you know, we paint ourselves in all these different labels, but ultimately it is Jesus who holds our deepest identity. Yes. And I can see that that is true for you, friend, and that you are um, truly living out the calling that he is um, placed on your life and, it's just beautiful. So you are fragrant and I'm so thankful for our time together today. So thanks for sharing time with me. Thank you so much, Hunter. I am also very grateful. Thank you. I hope y'all were able to connect with Lauren's story as much as I was. Her quote, joy is about posture and perspective totally stuck with me. I've been thinking about it as I've been washing dishes and folding laundry all week. Hey, if you'd like to follow Lauren on social media, I'll be sure to list her Instagram handle in the show notes, along with the resources she mentioned at the end of the show. As always, if you enjoyed listening, please leave us a review on iTunes. Can't wait to do this again with y'all next week.